Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of James. James. I had to say that with a little English accent, James. I love the scriptures from cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, but perhaps James is one of my favorite books. I love James. We're going to talk about working out your faith. Come on, turn your neighbor and say, I work out. We're going to work out our faith over the next five weeks. Some of you had to say that in faith because you was lying. Oh, man. Uh, We're going to talk about how faith and really the practicality of it. I guess that's one of my favorite things about the book of James is just how practical it is. James will speak right to where we live. How many of you like to be able to hear something and then apply it immediately? You know, sometimes even in church, you, you have a good feeling, a good experience, but you don't necessarily know what to do with what you've heard. And James is just packed with practicality. It's going to show us how our faith is applied in every environment. How many of you know your faith works in every part of your world? There's not a single part of your life that is off limits to God. Well, it's not really relevant to this. No, no, no. The scripture speaks to relationships. It speaks to our finances. It speaks to our decisions. Come on, somebody. It speaks to even the political realm. And, and, you know, God is not confined to anything. And so let's open up our heart for the next several weeks and let's receive what God's going to instruct us through the book of James. James is not telling us how to become a Christian but he's going to show us how to live like one. How many thinks it's a big deal to live what you believe? It's one thing to say, well, I love the Lord, but it's another thing when your lips match your life. And I just love it. James is like this, uh, put your faith in a pair of overalls and get to work. Come on, somebody. We're going to work it out over the next five weeks. We're going to talk about things like difficulty. James speaks to our doing, our dialogue. James speaks about discrimination. It also speaks about decisions. And so I think this is going to be super helpful. I want you to lean in as we discuss the book of James. James is named after the author, who is James, the half-brother of Jesus. Now, let me stop right here and say this. I know all of us look at Jesus as our, our Savior. Most of us do. If you're here, you know, this is not unfamiliar to you. But I wonder what it would feel like if you grew up with Jesus as a brother. How many of you have siblings? Okay. How many of you would fight and fuss with your siblings? Come on, somebody. Oh, yeah. The, the rest of you, the best of you, and everything in between. You know, James was the brother of Jesus. Imagine growing up in the same house with Jesus as your brother. I mean, it sounds all nice and and stained glass here in church, but how many of you know the family dynamic might have been a little different? Yeah, if you're going to go in the backyard and play basketball with Jesus, hey, game of horse. How many know Jesus ain't missing a shot? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the games we would play as kids growing up, hide and seek. How many of you played hide and seek? You ain't hiding from Jesus. He knows where you are. Come on. Or, you, you know, your, your parents take you to swimming lessons. You know, you're, you're just trying not to drown, and, and yet Jesus, your brother, can walk on that stuff. Come on, talk to me. 
Or, you know, the family dynamic always got interesting when report card time came out, right? Jesus bringing home them straight A's, and, man, you're struggling just to stay awake in history class, and, man, put your report card up to Jesus. Why can't you be more like your brother? I mean, it probably wasn't easy to have Jesus as a sibling. Can I have an amen from all the honest folks? Remember the time whenever Jesus was 12 and the Bible talks about how his parents left him in the temple. They forgot him. They went to Jerusalem to celebrate the the festival. And then as they were on their way home, they're like, wait, 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 where's Jesus? I thought you had him. No, I thought you had him. He was your responsibility. And then mom and dad find Jesus. He's 12. And they say, Jesus, why have you done this to us? Don't you see how worried and upset you've made us? Remember what Jesus said? 12 years old. It's like, didn't I tell you I would be in my father's house? I can imagine James is probably listening to that thinking, man, mom and dad would never let us talk to them that way. James is the brother of Jesus. A little bit of history, and this will help the text mean so much more when you understand the context. But James initially was not a disciple of Jesus. He was not a follower of Christ. In fact, the Bible tells us in John chapter 7 that he doubted that Jesus was supernatural, that he was the Son of God. He was an unbeliever. In fact, in that passage in John 7, you know, they kind of mocked Jesus and taunted him and said, hey, well, you know, if you're going to be weird, at least do a few miracles so we can all be famous. And Jesus is like, your time is whenever you want, but my time has not yet come. And so James was a skeptic at first. Let me ask you this. What would it take to convince you that your sibling was the son of God? It would take a personal appearance. And guess what? In 1 Corinthians 15, we read that after Jesus had been crucified, when he, raised, when he was raised from the dead, he made a special appearance to his brother. And it's out of that experience that James surrenders to Christ. And I want you to read with me in James chapter 1, verse 1, how James identifies himself in this letter. And I love it because James is a short book, only five chapters. How many like it short and to the point? Yes, indeed. This is good reading. And all the Cajuns said, uh, amen. Ah, There we go. James chapter 1, verse 1. He says, this letter is from James. Now, notice how he identifies himself, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. What transformation. James went from being a skeptic to now he says, I'm a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. He doesn't name drop. You know, James was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He doesn't say, hey guys, remember that guy, Jesus? That's my brother. Man, hey, I'm the pastor of that great church in Jerusalem. He says, no, I'm, I'm just a servant. One translation says, I'm a bond slave, which means a servant by choice. James saw the lordship of Jesus Christ and surrendered to it. He says, I'm not chasing my rights. I've surrendered them to the Lord, and I've embraced my responsibilities. Uh, I love that. You know, when, when, when you trust the creator of your soul with everything, there's nothing to worry about. Look at what it says here, verse 2. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way. Now, let me stop right there. I'm going to read three verses out of this first chapter, and I want to talk to you about trials 
and troubles. Does anybody know anything about trouble? I should ask some of your parents, okay? Yeah, yeah. How many of you, you lived in trouble growing up? Is it interesting that trouble has a way of finding you? You can't avoid it. You can't escape it. Notice the language that James uses here. He says, my brothers and sisters, when trouble comes. He didn't say if, he said when. The first thing I want you to write down is this. Number one, when it comes to trouble, expect it. Expect it. You know, I think one of the most difficult things about trouble is the element of surprise. And here the scripture is speaking and trying to eliminate any surprise. How many of you know that when you say yes to Jesus, you're not going to escape trouble? Sometimes there's a false narrative that's out there, especially in the church, that says, give your life to Jesus and you won't have any problems. (laughs) Hey, how's that working out for you? Uh -uh. How many of you know that as a believer, you can't avoid trouble? Sometimes you find yourself right in the middle of turmoil and trouble and opposition. You know, and, and, and I love James because he says, don't be surprised. He says, trouble is coming. It's not something you can always avoid. If you're looking to live life on easy street, please do not follow Christ. Because when you follow Jesus, then you will move into some difficult circumstances. Can I have a better amen? I've always discovered this, that opportunity brings opposition. Those two go hand in hand. We pray for opportunities, but God sometimes allows opposition. In fact, I I, I believe this. If you're not ready to face opposition for your obedience to God, you're probably not ready to be used by God. This thing called life is difficult. And when you say yes to Jesus, it will create some enemies in your world. Can I have a better amen? And I think we got to be prepared and positioned for trial and trouble because it's coming. You know, the apostle Peter said this in 1 Peter 4. He said, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Listen, don't panic, don't fear, and don't be surprised because trouble's coming. I said, trouble is coming. And for some of us, trouble is already here. Say, Mike, well, can you be a little more encouraging? Can you, can you be more positive today? Yes, I'm positive. Trouble is coming. Aren't you glad the Scripture keeps it real? As a believer, you're not going to be exempt from trouble. In fact, you may be the target of it. Some of you know what that feels like at your office or at your job. Some of you know what it feels like to be the target of somebody else's criticism or hate. You know what? Jesus said, if they did it to me, they're going to do it to you. As followers of the Lord, man, we're not going to walk this this nice, neat, wrinkle-free life. It's going to be tough some days. You're going to go through difficulties and dark seasons. Can I have a good amen? Expect it, James says. And you know, I feel like my job is your pastor. I want to encourage you, but I have a greater responsibility than just encouraging you. My first priority is to teach you this book so that you'll know how to act when trouble comes your way. If you're not equipped with instruction in this word, I have not done my job as your pastor to prepare you. 
We come to the house of God to receive encouragement, but you know what's going to help us? Instruction. Man, when you have the tools and trouble comes, you're not going to panic. Come on, somebody. You're not going to cave. You're not going to break down. Man, whatever's coming against you, it may be bigger than you, but it's not bigger than the God inside of you. And that God inside of you will give you everything that you need as it pertains unto life and godliness. James says, when trouble comes your way. Number one, expect it. When trouble comes your way. Now look at the second half of verse two. When it's coming your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. (laughs) I didn't think I'd get any amens right there. Now, see what the scripture is doing here. James is, is taking trouble and turmoil, and he's mashing it together with this concept of joy. Mm-mm-mm. That, they, they seem mutually exclusive. How in the world, if I'm walking through a hard time, how can I consider it an opportunity for great joy? Look at what it says here, verse 3. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Check this out. James says, expect it, number one. Number two, he says, think about it. Okay, now think about it. Consider it. In the Greek, that word consider, I I love the language. The, The word consider means to command or to lead your thoughts. Okay, now this is big, okay? At this point in the message, I want you to really dial in because this could be the difference between success and failure. This could be the difference. What I'm about to teach you could be the difference between victory or defeat. The truth is this. You cannot control what happens to you, but you can decide how you will respond to it. There are a lot of things that are beyond your control. Jesus never said that you're going to ride off into the sunset of eternal bliss. In fact, he said this, in this world, you will always have tribulation. It may come through a friend, a co-worker, a family member, a stranger. Come on, somebody. Man, and it'll come out of nowhere, and it'll be all up in your space. You know what? You cannot control what happens to you, but you can direct your thoughts. You can decide how you're going to respond to it. Isn't that empowering? I love it because, you know, you you feel helpless when it comes to circumstances, but you're empowered when it comes to how you respond. True story. Two weeks ago, I'm going to take off my Superman cape for a minute, can I? How many of you know that as the pastor, I don't bounce around from one glory cloud to the next? I don't wake up to angels singing the hallelujah chorus. I put my pants on one leg at a time just like you did. Come on, somebody. Turn your neighbor and say, I like that he keeps it real. I'm going to reveal a little kryptonite, can I? Two weeks ago, uh, Pastor David and I, we we flew to Colorado as a part of a a two-day conference, a roundtable with a number of of pastors, and we were discussing everything from the pandemic to, to, you know, what God's doing in the church. And so it was very, very fruitful. So it was a great, great couple of days in Colorado. 
on the flight to Colorado. Pastor David's sitting beside me, and, you know, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm in my seat, and, and I know there's certain rules and regulations now. Of course, they tell you on the airlines, okay, you have to wear your mask. Got to wear your mask at all times, but you can remove your mask if you're eating or drinking, right? And so I'm sitting there with my Bible, Open to the book of Isaiah. Remember that. I was reading, reading the scriptures and had my protein bar. Come on, somebody. I don't know. I got to feed. The, I got to, I got to, I need some fuel. Got my protein bar and got my water and my mask was hanging around my ear. And, uh, the book of Isaiah. Have I mentioned that? I was reading, reading the scriptures. Flight attendant came to me. She says, sir, you have been eating that granola bar for the last hour and a half. Put it away and put your mask on now. And I think she said it just like that, too. (laughs) Caught me by surprise. I was so startled. Number one, I hadn't been in the air for an hour and a half, but I guess I've been eating the granola bar for an hour and a half. She came at me sideways. Have you ever had anybody just come at you sideways? Okay, I thought I was talking to the right group now. Some of you just started listening right now in the message, like, oh, well, what did pastor do? (laughs) Look, she came at me, and I was so startled. David's sitting next to me. He's dying laughing, okay? He's getting a real kick out of this. Pastor just got scolded by the flight attendant, and she came at me, and I didn't even know how to respond. I was just so startled. I was reading the book of Isaiah. And for a minute, I wanted to go Old Testament on her. Come on, somebody. And then she noticed as the mask, it was a paper mask hanging on my ear, it was broken. One of the straps had broken. And then I think she felt bad. And so she's like, uh, uh, sir, I, I see your mask is broken. Would you like me to get you another one? I was like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> David laughing the whole time, man. He's like, pastor got in trouble. And for a moment, my flesh, come on, somebody. Can I talk to you a little bit about your flesh today? Listen, I don't see any halos or angels' wings in this house. Come on, somebody. Man, for a moment, you ever got so angry that you felt the splotchiness in your neck just kind of crawling its way up? Yeah, and for a moment, I wanted to just react in the flesh. (laughs) And then the Holy Spirit, how many are thankful for the Holy Ghost? Now listen, you can't control what happens to you, but you're definitely responsible for how you respond to it. And here's what I felt God drop in my heart. He said, Mike, if you want to react in the flesh, you go right ahead, but you're going to have to do that on your own. You are on your own. I'm not with you. If you're going to have a flesh fest, it's on you. But he says this, if you respond in the spirit, I will fight your battle for you. Come on now. How many of you, you want God fighting on your behalf? If you need God's help, then respond in the spirit. Come on, somebody. Uh, If you think you can do it on your own, go ahead and react in the flesh and tell me where that gets you. Mm -hmm. Come on, hum at me today. You see, listen, circumstances do not determine your joy. Can I say that again? Circumstances, people, emotions, experiences do not determine your joy. Some of you have leased out your joy. Now listen, that flight attendant, she didn't take my joy. I gave it to her for about 30 minutes. And then I had to get back in the book. Come on, somebody. I had to get back in the book and realize, wait a second, my joy is my responsibility. 
Boy, come on, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. This is going to help us, you know, because this is real stuff. This is where we live. Check this out. Boiling water. The same boiling water that hardens an egg softens a carrot. You see that? Same boiling water. Heated circumstances can either harden your heart or soften your spirit. But here's the good news. You get to decide. It's your decision. It's your choice. James says, consider it joy. Direct your thoughts. There's an opportunity in this. Don't let critical people poison your life. And then you'll become just as guilty as the very thing you despise. Come on, somebody. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Look for the opportunity that opposition brings. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, when you fall, oh man, I just lost my notes. Here we go. When you fall into trials and temptations, not if, but when, when it comes, when trouble comes, count it an opportunity for great joy. Look at what it says, verse 4. So let it grow. There's something that's happening here when you direct your thoughts. Let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now notice what this verse is saying. Obviously, I lack something, and God's trying to use this difficulty to teach me, to grow me, to develop something in me. Number three, we said, first of all, expect it. Then we said, think about it. Now we're saying, grow from it. You can grow from it. How many of you have ever prayed, Lord, just grow my capacity? God, enlarge my influence. God, stretch my faith. Has anybody ever prayed that? <laughs> you know what God's going to bring? Trouble, trial, difficulty. Some of you are like, oh, Lord, sweet Jesus, I'm going to stop praying that prayer. <laughs> God wants you to grow, and so he's going to give you something that you have to push through. If you have something coming against you, it means God is at work in you. Is, is, anybody, is anybody in a situation right, right now where you have something coming against you? Okay, okay, I want you to think about whatever that is. Maybe it's a relationship issue, maybe it's something financial, maybe it's a challenge at work, maybe it's something with one of your children, whatever it may be. Whatever it is that's coming against you, please know this about the God that you serve. He's wanting to use that to build you, not to break you. This thing won't break you if you trust God to use it to build something in you. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't share this in the first service, and I wish I would have, but, but I want you to see this, that trials are simply a means of training. Think about it. It's training. If you've ever run a 5K or you've ever tried to max out on the bench press or w whatever that, that feat of strength may be, whatever that goal is, there's a process of training, and God will use trials as a means of training. I mean, consider David when he faced off against Goliath. How many remembers that story? Here, this little shepherd boy, and you got this nine-foot-tall giant, and man, he's cursing the armies of Israel. And here comes David, the only one with the courage to stand up against him. And everybody says, you're too small, you're just a boy, you're untrained, you're not qualified. And, and Saul tried to fit him with some armor, and David's like, ah, I can't do that, I can't do that. Listen, don't fight a giant wearing somebody else's armor. Come on, somebody. Man, this is your faith, man. God's teaching and instructing you. He's getting you ready. But notice what David said in 
in that moment. He said, you know, there was a day when I was tending my father's sheep and a lion came out and attacked him. And I grabbed that lion and I clubbed him to death. And I remember that there was a time when a bear came out of the woods and, 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 and I did the same thing to the bear. What I did to this lion, what I did to that bear, I'm going to do the same to this giant in front of me. Now listen, listen, you'll never kill your giant if you're complaining about the lions and the bears. You're not killing the giant in front of you if you're complaining about the little things that have come against you. How many of you know that whining and complaining are not fruits of the Spirit? Yeah, Lord. If God gave you victory over some... Now think about, what has God done in your past that's brought you to your present? If God did it then, won't he do it again? God, you're, you're growing something in me. There, there's something you're wanting to do inside of my heart, inside of my spirit. We need to make a transition. I want you to, to listen to this. Maybe jot this down. We must move from, God, why is this happening, to, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? You see the difference? Sometimes we get stuck on why. God, why did this happen? Why have I been, I've been through so much, and Lord, I've already walked through so much, and why are you adding more? And we're asking God why when we should be saying, Lord, what is it that you're trying to grow inside of me? Can I tell you, there is a kingdom potential inside of every earthly problem. There's kingdom potential inside of every earthly problem. I want you to consider this. What was the worst day of Jesus' life? What was the worst day of his life? What do you think? Probably the day he was crucified. I mean, I couldn't imagine the horror that he walked through, how he suffered, how they treated him. They mocked him and beat him. And man, Isaiah prophesied that man, he, we didn't even recognize him as being human. His, 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 he was so marred and, and just abused and he hung on a cross. And he, I couldn't imagine a worse day. But let me ask you this. 2,000 years later, what do we call that day? Good Friday. How many know there wasn't a lot of good things happening on that day for Jesus? But what do we call it? Good Friday. If Jesus' worst day could eventually be called good, then maybe your worst moment can be used for good too. Come on, do you receive that today? Maybe just me. And I don't know how he does it, but he promised to work all things together for good. That doesn't mean that what's coming against you is good, but it does mean that God can use it for good. God can use the worst thing that's happened to you and turn it into one of the best things for you. And I try, now see, human effort and, and flesh does not accomplish that, but by his spirit... Oh, God, what is it that you want to grow inside of me? If I can embrace that, then maybe I can get better instead of bitter. Come on, somebody. I made a quick list of, of some things that tribulation produces in me. Here's what struggle produces in me, and I want to wrap this up here. Let me give you three simple thoughts. Struggle produces compassion inside of me. Compassion. You know, when you've battled something and you've walked through it 
And then you hear somebody else going through it too. How many of you know you don't have critique or criticism, you have compassion? Some of you know what it's like to have a son or daughter wander away from God and make poor decisions and live a prodigal life. And, and, and you've faithfully prayed for them. And then you have a friend that says, listen, my child is making wrong choices. Guess what? You're not in the judgment seat. You're in compassion mode. Because you've been there and you know what it feels like. Some of you have walked through addiction, drugs, and alcohol. Maybe it's been sexual bondage. And the Lord, I mean, you've had some dark, difficult days. But the Lord has delivered you. When a drug addict comes and says, listen, I want freedom, guess what? You know what wells up inside of you? Compassion. Because you've been there before. When so, maybe you've walked through a season of depression and anxiety. And, man, you've counseled and you've prayed and you've sought the Lord. And, man, you've had intercessors pray over you. You've listened to your worship music. Man, you've gone to seek the help of professionals. And when somebody says, hey, would you pray for me? I'm discouraged. Guess what? You don't judge them. You're filled with compassion. See, it bothers me when I read social media. God, just the venom. The animus, the hatred, the division. I mean, it truly is polarizing. And I even see it within the church, and I'm like, what's happened to a spirit of compassion? Can you love somebody that doesn't think like you, act like you, walk like you, talk like you, believe like you? Where's the love? I've never seen Facebook change an opinion. But I've seen Facebook change a whole lot of friendships. And when you walk through hard stuff, somebody said, well, been there, done that. Been there, done that. Been there, done that. Got the T-shirt. Hey, listen, get more than a T-shirt. Get some compassion. Come on, somebody. What kind, of, what kind of environment would we create if our troubles produce compassion? You know what else struggle produces? Humility. Suffering brings us to our knees. It makes us realize our dependence on God. It is hard for me to criticize somebody else because I know I've got my own issues. And humility recognizes I'm not everything I need. God is who I need and so much more. Apostle Paul struggled with his thorn in the flesh. And what he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, So to keep me from becoming proud... To keep me from being proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Some of you have a thorn in your flesh right now, and it just won't go away. And you've sought deliverance, and God says, no, 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 I'm not going to deliver you. I'm going to develop you. I'm going to leave that thorn right here, but here's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you grace, and my grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect. You receive that today? Let me, let me wrap this up. Last thing, and I want to ask the band to come up. So I want to pray for some people this morning. The last thing that I recognize, what, what God grows in me through struggle, struggle produces strength. Struggle produces strength. Struggle gives me a choice of whether I dig in or whether I just give up. And some of you may be at a point right now in your life where you're at that intersection. Do, do I really dig in or do I give up? James says, count it all joy when you fall into trials and temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith is developing patience. The New Living Translation says endurance. You know what that word endurance means? It's, it's two Greek words that join together. It means super, 
hypo, it's, it's hypo minnow. Hypo means super, minnow means stand. So I just, I, I, I can just, I'm just going to stand my ground and I'm going to keep standing. Some of you are at a point right now where you're under so much opposition that you've been tempted to give up. And God says, no, take your stand and just keep standing. I'm doing something in you. I'm I'm growing something in you. I'm developing compassion, humility, but I'm giving you strength to stand. You know, one of my favorite practices over the last 10 years, every year I'll read the one-year Bible. I love it. I love the one-year Bible. You, there's a psalm, there's a proverb, an Old Testament, New Testament reading for every day. And if it, just 15, 20 minutes a day, you can read through the entire Bible. And I've been doing that practice for the last 10 years. And I had a friend of mine give me this idea, and so I thought, you know, this is fantastic. I, I want to start, because I, I, I mark my Bible. I don't know if you, how many of you, you write in your Bible? Listen, I, I mark that Bible up, but I pray that's not how I mark my Bible. It's how my Bible marks me. <clears throat> so I'll write notes in there. And so I'm beginning to, to personalize this one-year Bible, and then at the end of the year, give it to one of my children. And so I've, we've got three kids, and so my oldest is 22. And, and it took me, th- so I read the Bible through three years in a row and just kind of marked and added to my notation because I want my, my, my kids to know not only the heart of their heavenly father, I want them to know the heart of their earthly dad too. And so I, now I'm, I'm reading through the scriptures, and, and the, at the end of this year, I'll, I'll give this Bible to my middle daughter, Michaela. She just made 18 on, on Thursday. And so as I was, I think it was in Ephesians, I circled this phrase and, and I began to meditate on it because I'm writing thoughts and, and stuff, what's speaking to me and then my, my thoughts to her. And it said something about the greatness of God's power. In Ephesians, it said the greatness of God's power. And I remember it was on the right side of the page down at the very bottom and I circled that phrase and I just began to meditate. What does the greatness of God's power mean to me? And I thought about what it meant to me when I was 18. She's 18. And I would at 18 connect thoughts like well the greatness of God's power is me standing on a stage preaching to thousands of people or the greatness of God's power is me holding these crusades overseas and seeing the supernatural the greatness of God's power is is me planting campuses and 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 growing the church and there was always a little touch of selfish ambition maybe attached to the greatness of God's power now that I'm 46 and I've been through some stuff been in ministry for over 24 years and that uh, that means something different to me now the greatness of God's power did not necessarily mean something that I would achieve on a ministerial resume but I thought what if the greatness of God's power is simply the ability to make it through the hard stuff and do it well just the ability to stand and to persevere, even under attack, even under criticism, even when hatred comes your way and the enemy tries to tear you down. And it's not about what you achieve, but it's about suffering well and setting an example for my kids. So I said, here's what the greatness of God's power means to me. And I pray that one day it'll mean the same to you. You receive that today? Come on, put your hands together if you believe that. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.